everyone, welcome back to Adhering Apologetics. Pumped to join us today to have Tim from Invoking Theism and Kyle from Christian Idealism. And we're going to be talking about uh, part of Emerson Green's recent video on why I am an atheist um, with regards to simplicity of theism versus naturalism. So, Tim, Kyle, how's it going, guys? Good, man. Right on. So, Kyle, you were muted, but I'm sure you were like, yeah, life is amazing, and I love to talk to Zach, yep. so I'm sure that's what you're going to say. Good, yeah, sorry, I, I didn't realize uh, I muted myself. You're good. <laughs> yeah, you're all good. So we're going to hop in this video in just a moment. It's a really good video by Emerson, kind of outlining like the main reasons he's an atheist. Um, and we're going to be focusing specifically on part four of this video, where he talks about um, theism versus naturalism and saying basically that theism is more complex than naturalism and it's just unneeded. Um, so Tim, Kyle, do you have any kind of like preliminary thoughts you want to say before we get going? So we'll start with Tim. Oh, um, the only thing I would say before we jump right into it is that... Um, is that this, this one single component of evaluating a grand theory is important, but it has to be put um, in its right and correct context. Um, and so it does play a big role, um, but there are other rules in which we need to establish, assess first, um, before we really kind of hinge everything on the simplicity factor. Um, and as we will continue on and as we will see and critique and things of that sort, uh, that'll be made more apparent. But that's the only thing I'm going to say is um, simplicity plays a big role, but has, it plays a big role in the context of some other things. So. Yeah, so I just want to emphasize here. I mean, I had to make this some people in my most recent video on the intrinsic probability of theism. Um, one guy was claiming that I was saying that, oh, well, therefore theism is true because it's more simple. It's like, well, no, I'm not claiming that at all, right? Um, theism is simple, but just because it's simple doesn't mean it's true, right? So like if naturalism has greater explanatory power than theism, then naturalism is most likely true, right? So it doesn't matter how simple your theory is. What matters is, is the explanatory power. So I guess just echoing what Tim said, it's like simplicity is important, but only when we've evaluated the other criteria first. There's other more important criteria that you have to really get through before you can really talk about simplicity. Um, so that's just, you know, something I want to point out that when it comes to simplicity, it's very limited in what it can actually show. Right. So, um, but yeah, yeah that's pretty much it. That's great. All, all I'd say is before we get into this clip, is like, I chose this video um, because I think Emerson brings up like a really lot, a lot of great points. Like this isn't just like some random atheist YouTuber putting out random stuff. Like this is really thought out, really thoughtful. Um, Emerson's a really cool guy and this is like kind of like to me like this is like one of the like battlefronts of the like the theism atheism debate right now is over like simplicity and like this is a super valuable um, piece of work and first I hope this response is valuable to anyone listening um, so with that being said we're getting into this first little bit where he's going to talk about why he's an atheist so let's get this first clip going <laughs> Number four, theism is more metaphysically profligate than naturalism as an explanation. Pierre Simon Laplace, an astronomer and mathematician, sort of the heir to Newton, presented his work on celestial bodies to the Emperor Napoleon, who said to him, you've written this large book on how the universe works, and it makes no mention of God. And Laplace replied, I had no need of that hypothesis. As Grammopi puts it, quote, 
the naturalist does not have beliefs in anything over and above the things a theist believes in. From the standpoint of the naturalist, theistic beliefs are pure addition. And from the standpoint of the theist, naturalistic beliefs are pure subtraction. In short, naturalism is a simpler theory than theism. Okay, so great first clip here, and he kind of brings up home this point of like, we have this like cause of order in things, and we have no need for God to explain things, so like theism is just adding something unnecessary. Um, so we'll just start with Kyle, like what do you think about this little intro to what's going on? Okay, so the first thing is, um, it seems like he's, I mean, this is what Oppie does, so I'm not going to really, you know, critique him, but seems to go, um, he's, he seems to go, be going after a supernaturalist conception of theism, which, well, someone like me doesn't hold to, right? So um, my main response is going to be that theism is not really adding anything to reality. And so what we're saying is that the foundation of reality, because that's what really matters, right? So the foundation of reality is going to be different depending on theism and naturalism, right? So just a few points that I wrote down. So the first thing is that the only relative, the only relevant difference between theism and naturalism is that um, naturalism posits a metaphysically necessary initial state as the ground for reality, and the theism posits a metaphysically necessary supreme being as the ground for reality. So the theist is going to deny a metaphysically necessary initial physical state, and then the naturalist is going to deny a metaphysically necessary supreme being. But regardless of which side you hold to, you're going to deny, there's going to be subtraction going on, right? So they have to preclude each other. Um, so that's just the first thing I want to point out, that it's problematic as to why theism is adding things to the natural world, especially if naturalists, especially like Graham Oppie, already agree that there has to be some necessary foundation to reality. Um, a second thing I'll point out is in order for naturalism to compete with theism, naturalism has to say something that is incompatible with the proposition that something is supreme, right? Or, you know, that's what theism is. Um, and the simplest way to do that is to say that nothing is supreme, right? And so then if you go that route, you're going to say, well, everything's arbitrarily limited, or at least um, the ground for reality has arbitrary limits. But then if you say that, then that's adding to the theory, right? So arbitrary limits is adding to your hypothesis, right? So if you say that everything is arbitrarily limited, this competed proposition isn't any simpler than saying that something is supreme, right? Um so that's the second point I would point out. Um, and then finally, I guess, the hypothesis that the universe explained its own necessary existence, um, or the idea that matter doesn't have an explanation or wherever you want to go, would lead to the consequence that um, the very the very detailed features of the universe are, you know, and its causal powers is very complex, right? So you're going to lose on syntactical simplicity there. Um, so that's the third point I want to bring up. And then finally, I guess it's, I guess it'll be very helpful if um, Emerson would lay out first what he means by simplicity, right? Because there's different types of simplicity. So we have to be like, which type are you talking about? Right. Um, so that's the fourth thing is just to help clarify. But um, those are my first initial criticisms. Tim, you want to add anything? Yeah. Um, so just to kind of add uh, and build on what Kyle said, um, another thing I would say is we have to be looking at um, at them as their own theories with their own commitments and their own uh, specific consequences and things. And the whole idea that um, naturalism is simply um, a subtraction or theism is simply an addition assumes that everything about the world 
on on theism is everything that you would say about the world on naturalism, but you're adding God to it. To me, it doesn't make any sense because a if you're going to go down Oppie's route when he mentioned Oppie, um, Oppie wants to take things into account. He wants to take total worldviews into account. And he wants to look at that and then compare those in the theory-theory comparison. But to do so, you'd have to look at the respective theories. And what do the respective theories actually say about the world, right? And so a theist's conception of the world is not just a naturalist conception of the world, but added stuff or added entities, right? Um, it actually has fundamentally different commitments that the naturalist actually doesn't have. And so you can't just simply um, get away for free just by saying, oh, we're just adding some stuff to it. Um, you have to look at the theory itself. And so, for example, um, Kyle and I are idealists, right? And so our theism has idealist metaphysics, has idealist commitments to it. It's going to be very different than what Kyle mentioned in the beginning about this supernaturalist theism, where the world is divided into these distinct ontological kinds, and then they somehow all play out and interact with one another, um, or that there is this world in which um, is beyond experience itself and it's beyond any uh, phenomenal states itself, and then there's a world of phenomenal states and experience itself. Um, the idealist actually subtracts a lot of that stuff off too. And so if a naturalist is committed to those things, then the theism then that kind of theism is going to actually have less commitments than that kind of naturalism. So we need to be looking at what the theories are actually saying themselves before we just kind of say theism multiplies complexity um, in that way. And it, and like I was saying, I mean, it really does depend on what, on, on how you approach simplicity. Um, because when we're looking at theism and naturalism, how I see it is that we're looking at it in terms of comparing uh, these uh, grand kind of fundamental explanations of reality. And so we should be using a simplicity uh, that best aligns and proportions itself to those, uh, to, to that kind of assessment. Um, rather than taking a kind of simplicity where you're kind of shaving off uh, uh, ontologies or kinds. And in the philosophy of science, when, we, when we're looking at simplicity and things, we're looking at um, like fewest like positive entities, fewest positive properties, and fewest and fewest posi positive kinds. And so, when you're doing a, 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 a an assessment on explanation, we need to factor all those three things into one another. Um, but if you're going to take a route that specifically focuses on the ontological aspect, well, that's just that that's going to play some role, but the role isn't going to be, isn't going to be big enough to show that theism is going to have a complexity cost at all. Uh, because again, we're not comparing ontologies or really comparing explanations. Like Kyle said about focusing on the foundations or what the foundations are, what the foundations say and how those things play out. And so even in, in the philosophy of science literature, um, philosophers of science, contemporary philosophers of science actually, uh, um, say that a, a, um, a conception of parsimony uh, that is itself syntactical um, is one that is actually most relevant. Um, and so that'd be fewest positive properties and fewest positive entities. Well, as Swinburne says, then theism is a very simple hypothesis um, on that account. And you don't even need, I mean, even, 
I, I would even say you can even shave off the kinds as well, but you can, we can, that can be a more complex conversation we can get into later. So those are the first things I would say on that. Um, uh, we need to get those nuances on the table and we need to, we need to wrestle with those things. The only thing I'd like to add is I'm thinking about, um, he uses like analogy of like, um, this like causal network of things and like, we don't need to add God, but I'm thinking like from Emerson's view, like Emerson's a panpsychist. So like, I'm not like perfectly understanding panpsychism, but like, so he's going to say to some level, consciousness is fundamental, right? If you're a panpsychist. So if that's the case, then like there's agreement with the theist because the theist posits God as like a conscious mind. Um, so there's that. But then like the theist had the advantage of saying, hey, let's get rid of this like matter stuff is like fundamental as well. Um, so there's like one like advantage to theism and we both have consciousness. And let's say, let's just make it supreme without arbitrary limits. And like Emerson's probably going to have to pose some like arbitrary limits at the end. So it seems like even without an analogy, um, depending on like what exactly like Emerson's complete view of things that like consciousness is, like theism might win out even in like that analogy if you go through with it all the way. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I mean, that that's, a, that's an awesome point, because you see right there what you just said. Um, in that sense, then there are fewer commitments in that theory. And there are fewer properties having to be posited in that theory, um, because we're just shaving off specifications of limits in all the different ways in which that thing could possibly be limited. Um, and so um, it's going to be a cost for a theory that's going to have to build that in into it. So that's great. Uh, let's go to the next bit. A central premise of my argument in support of atheism is the principle of parsimony. This general principle states that if there are two competing theories and one is simpler than the other, then unless the more complex theory provides a better explanation of something than the simpler theory, one should endorse the simpler theory. End quote. I think the force of Oppie's point is sometimes underappreciated. It's not just that naturalism is a little simpler than theism, so if we're perfectly rational, we should favor naturalism, however slightly. The point is that theism is redundant. The natural world works without God. We have no need to appeal to God to explain the natural world and how it works. It all works without that hypothesis. So let's move on to- So uh, let's just go back another interesting like little bit here. Let's go to Kyle again. Um, what are your thoughts here, Kyle? So there's a few things to say here, very brief. Um, so this idea that, I mean, it's, it sort of outlines what I laid out earlier, which is um, naturalists also have to appeal to something um, uh, that explains the universe, which is something like either you could say that the universe is itself necessary, or you could say that there is this initial physical necessary state. And of course, it's going to have arbitrary limits, right? Or I guess the arbitrary limits could also apply to the universe as well, right? So you say that the, the whole universe itself has arbitrary limits, right? Then you're going to have that cost, right? And then I guess the second point here is just um, kind of echoing what Tim said earlier which is we can we don't even need the natural the supernatural we can just shave off both categories and just talk about um objects as they really are which are what which would i would say are um mental sensations and stuff like that so that's all i really have to say on regards to that just you know that um basically that either you're going to say that there is this initial physical necessary state that you're going to have to pause on naturalism or if you say the universe itself is necessary then it's going to have arbitrary limits. So that's going to be a cost to um, to the theory. And then I guess one one final point, I didn't write this down in my notes, but um, I know Brian Leftlau makes this point where um, if you're going to say that the universe is necessary, so like you say, like the natural order is all that really exists, then you're going to have to posit a lot of brute entities in that 
hypothesis, right? And so when you do that, that's going to decrease the intrinsic probability of the hypothesis. Now, if you say that the universe is necessary, um, and that's just what explains it, then you're going to have more bruteness involved in that hypothesis. Whereas on theism, at least you can sort of like explain the, the uh, necessary existence of God by the property of absolute perfection. Um, whereas on naturalism, it's just going to be a brute fact that the universe is necessary, right? Um, so that, that's really all I have to say on that. Um, yeah, so. Tim? Yeah, so you heard him say on he was quoting Oppie and he was talking about parsimony. Again, uh, we really have to get specific on this, which is when we say parsimony, parsimony will then break into into different camps. Um, like I mentioned before, philosophers of science talk about syntactic parsimony. Um, they even talk about things like elegance. And then there's this kind of um, quantitative ontological parsimony. Um, and both are essentially operating under the same uh, guys, that 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 simplicity is what simplicity is trying to do, which is it's trying to to shave off unnecessary complexities. Um, but if we're looking at parsimony, like I said before, it has to be proportioned to exactly what we're talking about. And so, if we're looking at a a naturalist hypothesis um, about uh, what it's positing to explain things, um, if the what's being posited is that you have this necessarily existing um, initial quantum state of some kind. Well, if you start looking at the properties of that particular posit, um, it's everything about it is going to be necessary and everything about it is just going to have those limitations and those values and those degrees that it does, it's just going to have it. And, and if, you, if you go look at, um, uh, quantum field interpretations and you go look at what it takes to model a quantum field uh there are lots of numbers there's lots of mathematics and uh there's a lots of physics going on here and you would have to have all those things be essential and necessary in your posit and if you if you take down two columns and you write uh god and initial state in one and the, uh, one and the other and you write down and tease out all its properties well, God might fill up a, a, a substantial section of the paper. You know, you start listing out all the different perfections, right? Well, you're gonna be you're gonna be there for a while doing the quantum field stuff and the quantum field equations, right? Um, and so theism is going to have fewer properties and it's going to have fewer entities there, uh, especially when you start to explain reality as a whole, which is what Oppie wants to do. He wants to look at reality is this network of, of, of these causal natural entities. And so you start to look at, um, is the initial state itself necessary? And then are, are there other necessary things? Um, is this kind of uh, aspect of consciousness that matter has just a brutally necessary thing as well? And so you start multiplying properties, entities, and bruteness in your theory. And so your theory becomes laden with these things. Um, and theism doesn't have that going with it. Um, in a sense, um, um, it has a particular property that makes sense of its all, all its aspects and its features, um, and it can illuminate more upon its existence. And then, of course, um, it's going to have properties that are more uh, relevantly similar to one another. Uh, God is perfect, so God has all perfections, right? Well, 
any naturalistic deposit is going to have some kind of uh, properties in which when you look at how they're related to one another, they're very much different. Um, and there's going to be varying degrees and things of that sort. And so all is that to say is that uh, as we unpack this and as we tease this out on um, a, what I say, think is a more relevant conception of parsimony, uh, we start to see some stuff give out on the uh, naturalist hypothesis, or we see that costs start to increase in the simplicity side. So, yeah, I wonder, like, again, like, I'm just thinking, like, about Emerson's, like, analogy where he talks about, like, this whole, like, causal chain and everything occurring. And, like, it seems like the idealist could use a similar argument. Like, if we say that everything is, like, exists within consciousness or is conscious, like, um, we could say, like, we can explain this whole causal chain within consciousness. Like, we don't need to go outside of consciousness to explain all this going on, which seems to be a win for, like, idealism versus, like, maybe some sort of, like, dualist or, like, panpsychist or, like, physicalist uh, account of things. So that's the only thing I was thinking about. Um, yeah, so let's get into this next little bit. Um, so let's talk about objective moral values, which is really fun. On to some specific examples. Theists often claim that there are objective moral values, and this is best explained by God. Some even claim that it can only be explained by God. And for the sake of argument, let's say there are objective moral values. If there aren't any objective moral values, this obviously favors atheism over theism, but let's just say there are objective moral values. Can naturalists provide an account of objective moral values? Yeah, of course they can. There's no incompatibility between moral realism and atheism. So take the group of moral realists who claim that objective moral values are irreducible. They're postulating theoretically primitive goodness. There is some place where the moral chain of justification ends. Theists, on the other hand, take God's goodness as theoretically primitive. There isn't anything else in virtue of which God is good. That's where the moral chain of justification ends. The point is that in both cases, somewhere, the buck simply stops. If objective moral value is taken to be primitive or basic, as it is by many realists, theistic and atheistic alike, then theists can't appeal to objective moral values as evidence for theism over naturalism. They're both making the same move here, but atheists are doing it in a way that's arguably simpler. Okay, lots of great stuff with moral realism. Um, I do want to say before we get into this, I'm really sad because I have a raccoon in the background of the StreamYard thing, and I wanted to show it to Emerson, like, look, I have a raccoon. Because I think they showed up on Twitter about that, but we can't see that. But it's there. Um, but Kyle, what are your thoughts on this little bit? So it's interesting. Um, well, okay, so it depends on which view you hold and when it comes to moral realism. So one view would be what's called moral Platonism. And I would argue that a, if you say that there is one single moral foundation that could sort of unify um, all the moral principles and these abstract moral principles sort of flow from the nature of this moral foundation, then that's going to be more expected on, that's going to work better with theism than naturalism, right? Because on theism, you only have to posit one, um, one entity to sort of ground morality. Now, I think Emerson is correct that that, that goodness, at least God's goodness, is a, is a stopping point. For explanation in terms of um you know what what whatever theory of uh more realism you hold hold to if you're a theist now if you're an atheist if you say that you know you're a moral platonist and they use these abstract moral principles well then each moral principle is going to have its own like necessary existence it's going to have like its own brute like there's nothing that really unifies them like what is it about the moral principles like the rules of morality that you can sort of unify all of them into one like moral foundation. Right. Now I think there is some naturalistic one naturalistic theory that I've sort of came up with is this idea that morality is sort of grounded by reason. Right. But then it's like, 
once you get down there, it's like, okay, well, what is reason? And I would say if God is reason, then that, that should lead you to a sort of theism, right? So that's the other thing. So I guess my, my only concern here is um, in regards to like what unifies the moral landscape. Like if, if there's this objective moral landscape, which I think there is, right, then what unifies all of these principles? Why is it that these principles of, of, uh, re of morality and reason, why are they all like good things? Right. Like what makes them um, have virtue and stuff like that. And I would say theism provides the best answer because God's goodness um, is sort of like the unifier of all these more principles. Um, now, of course, again, like I said earlier, you can't say that these things are necessary, but then how many necessary things do you have to posit in order to, you know, avoid unification. So um, that's really the only thing I have to say there. Um, and of course I could say more in regards to like how a moral foundation sort of makes sense of like, not only other, not only is a moral foundation going to predict there to be moral principles, but it's also going to predict that you're going to get conscious beings that actually know about moral principles. So stuff like that. Um, but yeah, that's all I really have. That's really all I have to say on that. Tim. Yeah. So I would say that, um, that on, on theism, the the existence of of these moral principles, um, uh, let's go with that they're just necessary. Um, um, these necessities can be explained, but I would I I would think that they'd be consequences of God's nature, in that sense that you just you just tease them out as consequences of of God's nature, how God's nature plays out in all its aspects and its features. Because when we're looking at God's nature, Kyle and I both agree that um, it's just the instantiation of the single property of absolute perfection. And so that gives you goodness. Um, you can just deduce, uh, just derive that um, just epistemically. And then, and then this is the thing that would then give you um, these principles. And so uh, really all I have to do is just kick it to one property, absolute perfection. Um, and then, that's what's going to explain that. That's what's going to give me that um, uh, just as consequence. But on a naturalistic hypothesis, um, you're going to just have the entire realm of these necessary moral facts that obtain in the world as its own separate realm that just obtains. Um, and then its root of explanation just kind of just stops. Um, like that's just what it is. Um, so theism is going to have this, uh, again, I can just, I can just go back to a single po positive entity, right? Well, again, on this naturalistic theory, we've now built in, um, uh, into the theory as necessary and it's positive entities as, like I mentioned earlier, uh, this aspect of consciousness, then you have this initial state and now we have this moral, uh, this, this moral realm or whatever, if it's Platonist or whatnot, um, that we're having to posit as necessary. And when we posit it as necessary, um, like Kyle mentioned, like, like we have to take into account the fact that everything is necessary about it. So all of its entities and, and everything that comes with the whole package is necessary. Um, and so uh, there's no, there's no flowing or, or deriving from anything. It's just, that's what it is. Um, but on theism, um, I can just punt it back to the single entity again. I'm going back to one entity with one property, right? Every single time, that's what's happening. On, on the naturalist view, that's not what's happening here. Uh, it's, it's new entities, uh, new properties 
um, and many so, and brutally so. Um, so, yeah, that's what I'd say on that. Yeah, yeah I just want to hear. Oh, you know, you go, you uh, go, Kyle. Okay, so one last point that sort of popped in my mind. Um, so theism, because God is goodness, right? Then theism entails what's called the principle of diffusiveness, right? So the diffusiveness principle is the idea that goodness is inherently diffusive of itself. So it, it's going to have causal powers, right? So it's going to somehow relate to the thing that it produces, right? But then if you're an atheistic naturalist, right? Why is it that these moral principles apply to beings like us or whoever? Like if they're really just necessary, then what's the connection between the moral principles and the world that we live in, right? So how is it that these moral principles can even apply to um, to us humans? And why is it that, you know, these things would be able to, you know, predict moral beings, right? Um, whereas on theism, you can at least sort of predict that because you can, you know, you can see how, okay, well, goodness is diffusive of itself. So it's going to have causal powers. If it has causal powers, then it can explain why there are moral beings in the first place, right? Whereas on atheistic naturalism, you're not going to really get that same sort of explanation. So, mm -hmm. yeah, that's super good. Um, I just want to hammer home one point because so Emerson, like, he's just granting for the sake of debate that moral realism is true, but like, he's not actually, I don't know if he is a moral realist or not. And like, so like, I agree, like, pretty fast, like, there's no direct contradiction between like atheism and moral realism. But like, let's just look at these two theories and see what, what's simpler. Um, so let's say that for the sake of debate, like there is some sort of like necessary foundation. Maybe it's conscious, maybe it's not. Um, and then moral realism is true. These are two things that I think that both theists and if you would accept moral realism, atheists would be committed to. Um, so like theory one says, well, these two just exist disconnected. Um, so like there is a foundation and there's also um, this moral realism, which is true in like maybe like platonic sense or something else. Um, but they're like, they're not connected. But then like the other theory says that we can connect these two things where the foundation um, can explain these moral features. Like it seems like the second example would be preferred because it combines like two like um, potentially previously existing fundamental entities into one. Um, so just to say that like theism can put both of these into one explanation, um, making it simpler and more intrinsically probable because it doesn't have to rely on multiple necessary like brute facts. So let's get in this next little bit. Oh, did you, did you, did you want to add anything, Tim? Yeah, I wanted to say that um, that that's very important because the unification aspect um, uh, gets uh, goes uh, takes us back to the explanatory power aspect, which is um, is and this is what uh, this is what I was alluding to in my preliminary um, kind of thoughts, which is that um, the posteriors of the theory have to be settled um before we look at simplicity as the uh as as the thing that's going to then um that's, that's basically going to uh put all the pins in order right and so the unification aspect is something that if a theory if a hypothesis can unify if you have two of these hypotheses and one of them can unify all these different pieces of evidence the other one can't. Well, all things being equal, um, the hypothesis that that has uh, this virtue of unification is going to have a higher posterior uh, probability. It's going to have that advantage. If so, then um, the greater explanatory power that hypothesis is going to have. And so if we look at theism, theism is the thing that's doing that. And we go back to a syntactic account of parsimony. Then 
um, not only are our priors raising up, but our posteriors are raising up. And so if we look at, well, um, the world runs without any need for God or explanation for God or things of that sort. But if we're looking at the posteriors and these explanatory virtues and things of the theory, well, it seems that actually, no, 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 uh, we actually have something. We have some account that can allow us to show that actually theism does have a greater explanatory power in this aspect. It's this aspect of unification. Um, and uh, there are papers written on this. There are Bayesian analyses of the virtue of unification. And so someone would have to argue that theism cannot uh, cannot unify um, these things. And so it, let's just say that even if theism was a slightly more complex theory, right? Because I don't think it'd be that much more complex, um, just granting that um, its aspect of unification will be able to overcome um, that. And, and then it would just be like any other scientific theory playing out that was more complex than the previous theory, but it had greater explanatory power. So we go with that, right? Um, so just going off what you said, Zach, with the unification account, that's going to raise the explanatory power. And if theism has that simplicity advantage already, then um, two birds, one stone deal. Yeah, that's great. Uh, so in this next little bit, and which is gonna be a lot of fun on cosmological arguments. So here's another example. Theists often make some version of the cosmological argument. Naturalists can give no explanation of the existence of the universe, while theists can explain the existence of the universe in terms of God and his creative activities. Of this, Abbey writes, quote, Whatever range of options is open to the theist to explain the existence of God, exactly the same range of options is open to the naturalist to explain the existence of the universe. If it is open to the theist to say that God exists of necessity, then it is open to the naturalist to say the universe exists of necessity. If it's open to the theist to say that God's existence involves an infinite regress, then it's open to the naturalist to say the existence of the universe involves an infinite regress. If it's open to the theist to say that the existence of God has no explanation, then it is open to the naturalist to say the existence of the universe has no explanation. Insofar as we're interested in explaining the existence of the universe, the postulation of a God who creates it does not bring with it any explanatory advantage. End quote. And you can substitute the universe there for cosmos or nature, I think Abi's insight here has radical implications for contingency and cosmological arguments, as well as virtually anything in nature to which theists appeal. On any piece of data, any phenomenon, naturalism can do at least as well as theism in explaining it. Each one of those cases requires a little special attention, but it remains true that we don't need God to explain anything. And in general, I think that these non-God accounts are simpler. Okay, lots of great stuff here. Um, we'll again go to Kyle. Uh, what are your thoughts here, Kyle? So the first thing is... Um... So this sort of similar to what I said earlier, which is about the bruteness that's involved. So I agree with him that you can, naturalists can at least be consistent with explaining why the universe exists, right? You know, Oppie says that it's because it's just necessary, right? Or at least there's this necessary initial state. Um, but the problem is then it's like, okay, well, how much bruteness is involved there? How many brute facts are you positing? Now, with the simplest version of naturalism that I can sort of come up with is the initial uh, physical state idea. But then if you're going to say that it's just necessary that this initial physical state exists, right, then you're going to have to posit that not only does it exist, but that it has this property of necessary existence. Whereas on theism, we could say is, well, you have this one property of absolute perfection, and it exists. Then that absolute perfection entails necessary existence. So right off the bat, you already have a point where theism is ahead because it can explain the necessary existence of the property. Whereas on naturalism, any sort of property, um, not only is it is it's um, 
its existence has to be brute, but it's, you know, its necessary existence is going to have to be brute. Um, so you're going to run into that issue, right? It's just not going to be able to explain its own necessary existence. Um, and then the second thing I would point out, now he didn't mention this in the video. I don't think he mentioned fine tuning. I don't want to go mm -hmm. too much into this, but, um, but yeah, I guess my, my other concern is that, um, I guess when it comes to, if you're going to say that the universe is necessary, then all of its properties would uniformly have to be necessary. But then it's like, okay, well, what what uniform property can we appeal to that explains why it even has those properties in the first place, right? And of course, someone like Oppie is going to have to say that, um, well, it's just necessary that it has these properties without actually saying, okay, well, why, why is it that... Um, that it has causal powers? Why is it that it has electrons, protons? Why, why is it a quantum field? Why isn't that something else, right? Um, so you're gonna have that issue. And on theism, you're not gonna have that issue because on theism, you just have to appeal to one property of absolute perfection. And then you could sort of epistemically entail um, that something with absolute perfection is gonna have all perfections. So it's not, it's not like on theism, it's not like you're gonna have a being that only has some perfections, but then not other perfections. No, you're gonna have a, a being that has all perfections, so it's uniform in that sense. Whereas on naturalism, it's like, well, okay, um, it has causal powers, but then it has all these different properties, right? And it's just necessary that it has those properties. So you're going to run into, I guess my main point is, it's going to lack simplicity on its internal structure, and it's going to lack simplicity in terms of um, the amount of brute entities you have to posit there, right? Mm -hmm. So I, again, I agree that naturalists can say <laughs> that, it's just necessary that the universe is the way it is, right? But then it's like, well, how many necessary things you have to posit, right? And even if even if we can reduce it to one necessary thing, which is like some quantum field or something, um, then it's like, well, okay, what explains necessary existence? And then what explains the eternal structure of that um, that initial state or whatever it is? Um, so I, I don't know. In my mind, it just seems like. Um, while naturalists can, I think, explain the universe, I think there's a big cost. I think there's going to be a lot more bruteness involved. So, um, now, of course, just one final point. Naturalists can, so they can make the argument, well, God's choices are brute, right? But then it's like, okay, well, if we can derive or at least make sense of, like, why God probabilistically, and this is something that Swinburne does in his book, um, The Existence of God, where it's like, if we can predict what types of worlds God would create, then there's going to be less bruteness involved on the theistic hypothesis than the naturalistic hypothesis, because on naturalism, every single feature of the universe is just brute. Whereas on theism, you can at least sort of epistemically entail that God is going to do certain things. Right. Um, so that, that's all I got to say on that. And you want to go? Yeah. So a perfect plug for this would be uh, Brian left paper, a uh, naturalist, a naturalistic cosmological argument, I think is what, is that what it is? Yeah, okay, yeah. Where um, Left Out goes through all the different ways in which theism can parrot naturalism in its, um, in how it, its structure of reality, um, all the different ways the structure of reality could be and could play out. So necessary, nece uh, necessary, 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 contingent, 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 or 
and 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 that can be either infinite regresses on all those different things. Works on theism and naturalism, but Leftow goes into the whole idea, which is he says, I have no idea of any um of any specific uh uh like parameters on in, in any Bayesian analysis where uh, bruteness reducing comes into play. He says, but if we think that bruteness reducing is important in this in this in this assessment, then um, we should not be wanting to opt in for the a naturalistic uh, cosmological argument or something that would parrot um, a, a theist's understanding of origins um, simply because it's going to multiply uh, brute entities and brute properties. And so um, that's kind of the whole cost there is that um, you're going to have these things uh, being brute, but it's not something, it's not going to be like theism where God's existence is itself at the end of the day. If you want to ask why is God perfect or why is God in the instantiation of uh, absolute perfection, you're going to have to say, well, that's just inexplicable. But the necessary existence of God's existence um, can be illuminated upon because of the metaphysical priority that uh, absolute perfection gives us in doing so. Um, and so if there's going to be any bruteness, theism is going to have the least amount of bruteness. And I think that that's going to play a lot into when we look at the priors and specifically simplicity. And then when we look at this naturalistic foundation, um, there's really... If we're going with Oppie, which Emerson seems to be doing, keep, keeps doing, we're going to be looking at, um, we're going to be having to take our cues from physics. We're going to have to leave it up to physics to really tell us what the uh, nature um, or, or, or what kind of features the uh, necessary initial state has. And Leftow points out that there are models of quantum theory that are deterministic. Well, if they are deterministic, then um, then everything becomes necessary. And then you get into like this spinozistic modal collapse scenario. And in Oppie's own words, um, that is like the worst view you can possibly have. Um, and he said that specifically about the whole uh, everything is necessary idea because our intuitions say, well, no, things are connected. There are, there are causal antecedents, you know, playing out these ways. And it's like, no, 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 those things are just necessary. And, um, and they look like they have this kind of... Uh, uh, things resulting from prior conditions in a way that we would think would be indeterministic. Um, but absolute perfection being the metaphysically prior property that's going to make sense of everything on theism is going to give us uh, a perfect efficacy of will, um, which is just going to give us indeterministic causal powers. And then so we're not going to have those scenarios, uh, those costly scenarios run on theism. And so um, when we're looking at the virtues and, and kind of the, the advantages here, the costs and we're weighing them and looking at the trade-offs, um, it, uh, it seems as though um, uh, there's going to be uh, more complexity on the naturalistic hypothesis when it comes to accounting for uh, the necessity of, uh, its, of the physical states or things of that sort, if that's what you're going to go with. So that's what I was going to say. Mm. Yeah, that's super helpful. I think, 
I just want to hammer home a point again that we've been talking about a lot. I do want to say, Warrior Women, thank you so much for your super chat. Uh, thank you, bro. You for your body. Christ, bro, thank you so much. Really appreciate that. Hope you're doing well. Good to see you again. Um, but just, I just want to hammer home a point again. I really don't want to misrep misrepresent Emerson. So if I do, I'm so sorry. I hope we can still be friends. But I think like Emerson's a panpsychist. So his like total account of things is going to be something like there's initial state or maybe it's like all the matter energy. And there's also this consciousness, which is like, um embodied like in a sense like in everything i really don't understand panpsychism that well um but the conscious to some level consciousness is fundamental okay so like once again here like in emerson's view we're gonna have like it's matter energy or something like or a quantum state plus this consciousness and then okay well the theist is gonna like the theist especially if you're an idealist can say let's just get rid of this like matter energy quantum whatever is the fundamental let's just go with consciousness and then we can say well let's make this consciousness perfect without limits um whereas the atheist is probably gonna have to add some sort of limit um, to whatever this stuff is and like like it just seems like to me like in that sense like i mean if you want to call that an addition fine but it seems like my my theory if it's limitless and poses less substances than yours like it seems a lot more probable than like whatever yours is going to be um so i just wanted to hammer that home again i know we've been saying that but i think it's a really important point to consider um as, as we keep going yeah so, and let's get this, yeah go ahead Kyle. yeah not only that but i guess i should add is on theism, not only are you going to posit one substance to account for everything, but it, the substance entails, or at least epistemically entails, uniform properties, right? So absolute perfection entails all these different properties, but those they're all uniform, right? They're all maximally perfect, right? Perfect properties. Um, mm -hmm. So there's going to be uniformity in that sense, whereas on some sort of atheistic panpsychism, it's like, well, what makes matter and mind or matter and consciousness uniform? It's like, eh it's just you know it's just brute right that it that it has like there's going to be no no uniformity in terms of that whatsoever right so mm -hmm. um so yeah 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 that's great let's get in this next clip um which is about evolution so i'm sure tim will be very excited for this one one more example some theists accept the theory of evolution in full such as francis collins collins believes that evolution is the means by which god chose to create humanity this is called theistic evolution so a naturalist might take evolution to explain what we observe in biology, and theistic evolutionists believe roughly the same thing, plus God. If we use our razors to subtract that entity, nothing is lost, and nothing is gained by stitching it back on. The aim of theistic evolution is just to make theism fit with the data, and with our best scientific theories. It does not confer any sort of theoretical advantage. Furthermore, if we suppose that a designer indirectly brought about humanity using evolution, that changes everything for the worse. If an omnipotent, omniscient designer intended things to be this way, intended for the history of life to have the character it has, that designer is a psychopath. If he's not inept, he's malevolent. And by inept, I don't just mean inefficient. A benevolent designer, if he isn't lacking in power, would have to be lacking in skill or knowledge if he's not intending to cause mass death and widespread suffering. So if we took the theistic evolution route, we'd be multiplying entities unnecessarily, thus making the theory worse in order to further make the theory worse. Okay, so lots of great stuff here on evolution. So Tim, let's get it to you first, because I know you're really passionate about like understanding evolutionary theory. Yeah, right? so um, so there's two talking. things there. One, I, I, just, I just don't agree that this is how we should be doing our theoretical comparative assessments. I don't, and this is where I disagree with Oppie, I don't think that we should be looking at all the little bits and pieces within uh, the entire structure of reality and be going, okay, can the naturalist explain this? Naturalist explain that? Can I shave this off? Can I shave that? Um, I, I, 
again, I'm looking at um, this from this syntactic account of, of, of parsimony where we, we look at uh, what's being posited, um, its kinds, its properties, um, and its entities. And then we look at fundamentally what's built into it. And then we go, okay, well then everything else is simply consequence um, from there on. And then, so then that's how we should be evaluating our theories. Um, and so I don't think that we should just be um, going, okay, well now let's look at biology and let's see how theism and naturalism play out there. Uh, we should be looking at, okay, well, what is the hypothesis of theism? What is it telling us? And what is it committing us to? And that everything else is just simply consequence or everything else is simply for the posteriors. Um, um, because simplicity is um, is what we look at when we're looking at prior probability. Um, so that's, that's the first part. So the second part is I would say that um, the whole idea, well, okay, the second part is it's inexplicable to me as as to why biological evolution um, is even should be even expected on naturalism at all. Like 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 there's just that like like what like what on a hypothesis allows expect substantial uh, 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 expectation that we would live in a dynamic world um, and a world that unfolds um, according to uniform laws and then. Um, and in a world uh, that produces certain structures uh, whose who's, uh, primary goals is to kind of go on, keep reproducing uh, so that it can uh, keep on existing, right? Uh, those All those different aspects of evolution um, don't seem to be expected on a theory at all unless you just build that in auxiliary on top of the theory or as a conditional. Um, and things, and, and that gets into more of the Bayesian analysis uh, of, of things. And Emerson hasn't really gone into the Bayesian analysis of things, um, so I'm not going to hit too much on that. Um, and so it seems to me that um, there is really no reasonable expectation that we would have something like an evolution. But if you're going to say, well, it's at least going to be not, it's at least going to be more unlikely on theism that you would have that than naturalism. And so just by virtue of that, virtue of that, you have some confirmation. Um, and then that just gets us into um, understanding evolutionary evils and things. Because that's basically what it is. It's like we have this, we have this process um, in which a lot of death happens along the way. Um, uh, organisms survive hook or by crook. Um, and... And he didn't go into like the specific mechanisms or whatever. I don't think he, I don't know if he thinks that the particular mechanisms of evolution are themselves sloppy or whatever. Um, but he goes to so far as to make the, make the claim a, a very um, a explicit claim that, um, that if this is the mode of creation, then this, this being is impotent, uh, not just impotent, but like, um, like, male like, um, like absolutely malevolent and things of that sort. And, um, and that just gets into okay, well, how do we how do we respond to the evolutionary evils of the world and, and, and things of that sort? And so, um, that would be something then that when I look at a theoretical comparison, because we're looking at we're talking about simplicity of theory and how things play out, and how consequences play out. Um, that part right there um, seems to be kind of a different conversation. Um, how do, would God have any 
um, reasons uh, that are morally permissible for uh, allowing such a process to be to be the way it is and things of that sort. And I think that theism um, actually gives us good reason for why God would uh, give us would create a world with a process that is indeterministic, has some objective randomness, some chanciness to it, um, and that that as these chances play out, um, you know chances play out in a way that is um, on the backs of these uniform laws. And so these, these same uniform laws that allow us to um, expect that when I get up from the seat, I'm gonna be able to walk through that door and I'm not gonna, my house is not gonna collapse on me uh, because, because gravity doesn't hold anymore. It's the same from laws um, where randomness plays out that um, it's result in scarcity of things of that sort. Um, and so you can kind of get into that, but that is, is a, is a much larger, bigger conversation. I want to keep it to the theoretical comparative assistance on simplicity. Yeah. Um, okay. Oh, and one, one more thing, one, one more thing. Um, um, and I, and I, and I think that when God, um, there's a good paper by, um, uh, Volmer and I have been talking. Kyle, Kyle Volmer and I have been talking about it. it's that one by Ian Wagon on um, on uh, the role of chance in God's creation, um, and I do think that um, since God, uh, that uh, God is interested in initiating goods and realizing the uh, actually greatest goods and highest goods, I think that when He looks at the value of a world in which is dynamic and is stochastic, um, it, that that's in itself falling from the diffusive principle. That goodness is diffusive of itself, so that's why God creates. In the same way, um, God creating a world which is stochastic and, and, and can produce different various things according to different situations and consequences. It's like itself creation is being able to create. Um, and so natural laws and things of that sort and randomness is actually something um, that is simply a consequence of God wanting to do that. So I think we actually have a high uh, expectancy for God to create a world in which runs according in that way. Um, if I look on naturalism, I'm not really seeing that um, expectancy, um, but I can at least see that um, from uh, the nature of God in terms of perfect goodness and things of that sort. Mm, that's super helpful. Kyle, do you have anything you want to add? No? Awesome. Take you off. You um, did a good job, Tim. Say, <laughs> yeah, Tim's great. Um, if you want to know more, like Emerson and I did a debate on like the problem of evil, especially focusing on like evolutionary evils and talked about like teleological or teleological evils, evils. And then we did debate reviews. You can like look at that and come to your own judgment. But let's get into this next clip um, where Tim's going to talk about just naturalists needing fewer tools to explain everything. Mark Sedaris has said that in Indian philosophy, there's a principle, quote, known in the West as Occam's razor, but that Indian philosophers call the principle of lightness for it dictates that we choose the lighter of two competing theories, end quote. When we have two theories that explain all the evidence, we should go for the theory that needs less to explain the same evidence. Naturalism posits fewer ontological entities and is thus the lighter theory. Naturalists explain the same data theists explain, but they do it with fewer metaphysical tools. If nothing else, the relative simplicity of naturalism compared to theism should lead us to assign a higher prior probability to naturalism. Okay, um... I feel like we've covered a lot of this that's going on, but like Tim Kyle, does anyone have anything they want to add? Um, <laughs> Both. I just, to raise your hand. This is I just got to add, like, I think it's just, um, it sounds, that sounds to me like syntactical simplicity, which I don't really, I think me and Tim have made our point in regards to that. It's, 
I agree that we should explain the most with the least, but I would say that's what theism is doing, right? You only posit one entity to literally explain not just our universe, but like moral facts, logical facts, like, you know, so that's all I have to say on that. Just, you know, just apply the um, PSU and that's basically what it does. So that's all I got to say on that. I mean, yeah, I mean, it's that same assumption, which is all we have to worry about is the ontological kinds. All right. That's one out of three ways we assess a theory. We still have the number of posited entities and the properties of the posited entities that we're positing in our theory. Um, and like I said before, um, philosophers, contemporary philosophers of science generally agree. Um, and I don't remember what the specific paper is called, but I have it. So if someone puts my feet to the fire, I do have the paper for this, um, where um, a syntactic account of simplicity is more relevant, sorry, a syntactic account of parsimony is more relevant than an ontological account of parsimony. That when we look at, okay, our, our entities being posited, the properties being posited and the kinds, the kinds don't have as much weight as the properties and the entities being posited. Um, and then it gets into some controversy. It is actually very trivial about uh, what constitutes as a kind um, and, uh, and what separates something into its own kind and things of that sort. And that gets into a bigger conversation. So it's not just said and done that, okay, we have fewer ontological kinds, therefore we move on. Um, that's even my grant that let's say that there, and on theism, there's, there'll only be two ontological kinds. There's not like four ontological kinds on theism. We just have one more, but let's say it has two ontological kinds, right? Well, it's still going to have the fewest entities being posited and still going to have the fewest properties being posited as we've explained before. And so it's it's going to be able to uh, it's it's going to be able to counterbalance any cost from uh, ontological kinds being posited. Um, so it would seem that naturalism would only have uh, a quote gain on um, simplicity just in terms of its kinds, but properties and entities that's uh, theism would then um, would have the advantage there. So we 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 really need to be looking. Um, at how uh, this is assessed in the philosophy of science literature. Um, and like I said, like ontological simplicity and shaving off kinds, like it does matter when we're comparing ontologies. I mean, this is why one, one reason why I don't, I'm not a dualist because idealism can explain everything with, with a single ontological substance um, and dualism explains everything with two ontological substances. So I can just shave those off. That's ontological simplicity doing great work. Um, but when we look at the theism versus naturalism um, com- comparisons, um, that that that's going to be not as relevant. So, mm, that's super helpful. Um, let's get into this final clip, and we'll start to wrap things up here. Um, so, yeah. When we're comparing competing models, we should be considering theoretical virtues that could render one theory superior to another. One such virtue is lightness. Since naturalism posits fewer metaphysical entities, it is lighter. I should also mention that this point works against deism as well as theism. From my perspective, theists are taking common ground, like moral values, evolution, and adding unnecessary metaphysical baggage. It's always natural thing plus supernatural thing. And to quote Laplace, we have no need for that hypothesis. So unless theism provides a better explanation of some relevant phenomenon than naturalism, we should endorse naturalism. Regardless, it is a point in favor of naturalism that it can explain the data with fewer metaphysical tools. Simplicity plays a role in scientific advancement. Why not philosophical advancement? We should get rid of the supernatural for the same reason we got rid of the luminiferous ether. 
All right, lots of great stuff here. Um, last clip we're gonna play. Um, so Kyle, Tim, who wants to go first, or does anyone have anything you want to add? Um, just two points, I guess. So the first point I said this sort of earlier. Just repeat. I'll just repeat it. Um, so naturally, or theist, I should say, can shave off both natural and supernatural. So we just get rid of all categories, right? Um, and then once we get rid of all categories, then we're just focused on okay, um, what are the properties? That are being posited and where the entities that are being posited without even talking about what kinds of entities are being posited right so you just get rid of just all kinds right mm -hmm. then you're positing zero kinds and theism only posits one property and one entity right um so that's the first thing that um that i i, I would say you could use um and i guess the final point um this wasn't an argument that he mentioned but i think it's relevant to the discussion in regards to simplicity. So there are some naturalists that will argue that, um, well, theism has all these, you know, um, commitments, right? Um, so you have the commitment that not only does God exist, but that God's going to do this and this and this and this and this, or that more realism is true or blah, you know, all this stuff. Whereas naturalism, it's just, you know, has less commitments, right? It has all the commitments that theism does, but then just subtracts from the theistic commitments. Um, but my response to that sort of argument, and again, this wasn't necessarily an argument he made, but I think it's relevant, which is that um, those are just consequences in the theory. So more realism, I would say, is just a consequence of theism, right? And then what God does, right, is just a consequence. So if God creates a universe or whatever, that's just a consequence of the theory itself, right? Which What we should be focused on is not the commitments, but rather the fundamental posits that we are positing to explain the commitments, right? And of course, as we discussed earlier, right, both theism and naturalism are going to have completely different commitments, right? So if you're a naturalist, you're going to have to, you know, let's say if um, if you want to explain, like, let's say the problem evil, right? If you want to explain why suffering exists. Well, if you're a naturalist, you're going to have to believe in what's called the hypothesis of indifference, right? And the hypothesis of indifference itself, while a simple hypothesis, it entails, there's a lot of commitments that it entails, right? Um, so it's the same thing with theism, just, uh, just as naturalism or the hypothesis of a difference, just as that hypothesis is going to entail a lot of things, theism is also going to entail a lot of things. So it doesn't matter how many commitments it has, as long as your, your fundamental posits, all that really matters in the theory is the fundamental posits. So how many properties you're positing and how many entities you're positing. It does not matter the kind of entities you're positing, and it doesn't matter how many commitments are entailed from the hypothesis, right? Um, so that's all I have to say on, on that. That's great. Can you have anything you want to add? Yeah, I was looking at this PDF um, to find it. It's on parsimony. It's by Callum Miller on the intrinsic probability of theism. And um, going off of what uh, Kyle was saying about the, um, about the, uh, the consequences and commitments, he, uh, he notes that, um, however, he said, we should measure for simplicity, not the consequences of the theory, but the fundamental or brute entities or properties it posits. Logical systems often generate infinite theorems, but that is no reason to think that they are complex. Um, so, and he goes on to give examples of how scientific theories do this, such as Newton's laws. And so we need to keep that in mind too, uh, when we're doing our, our, um, our theoretical comparative assessments on parsimony, um, which is ultimately what some 
that's this that we're talking about right now, simplicity. So I think that's very important, um, which is you have the consequences of the theory, um, and then then you have what you know, then you actually have the actual um, statement and and actually what the theory actually purports and actually asserts. So yeah, um, I think the only thing I'd like to add is once again, like so. I think Emerson's read this. It's a really good book, and I highly recommend it to anyone. As Josh Rasmussen and Philippe Leon wrote this book, like, is God the best explanation of things? And, like, reading the book, at least from my, like, appearance, a lot of the times, like, Leon and Rasmussen agree. Like, it seems like, like, Leon seems like he's a more realist. Um, he believes in, like, like logical truths, like the laws of logic and some, like, I think platonic sense, like, things like that. And, like, he's going to call this naturalism. And like like a liberal naturalism is like what he phrases it as. And Josh is like, okay, well, like any like liberal like Leon's also like a cosmopsychist, so he's gonna grant like you know consciousness isn't just reduced to like material brain states. Um, so then Josh is like, okay, like I agree with you on a lot of these things. So let's just I by your definition, then I'm probably a naturalist, and just let's just make it supreme. Like so, like a lot of these, like when you flesh out exactly like what the atheists or naturalists are believing, there might be a lot more similarities to theism than we think. Um, and like the supernatural natural distinction is. Uh, tricky sometimes, you know, to be the apologetics chat that likes to deny this supernatural natural distinction. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think it's funny. It's it's almost like it's like like there's like this unwritten law. It's like no, like like I can't say God is natural. Like why not? Why can't I say God's natural, man? Like it's just um, it it really like it depends on what your definition of natural is. Like if you're gonna grant, like if you're gonna say consciousness just like isn't fundamental to some level, like well then maybe you have an argument. But like it just it comes down to your definition of what's considered natural, I think. Well, yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, it, it's interesting because like Castro, he will literally say without hesitation that he's a naturalist. Mm -hmm. But consciousness is the only thing in his theory. Um, and so it's like, okay, well then we're no different over here as theists, um, mm -hmm. and we're just saying that the entire nature of 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 universal consciousness is just um, is just purely actual. Or you could, or absolute, um, and so it's like, um, if, if that part right there, the making absolute, like the powers that it has is just absolute, is what makes it not natural anymore. Um, that seems to be very much an arbitrary. Um, uh, that, that, that 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 seems to be an arbitrary disqualification. Um, Kyle, what do you think, man? No, yeah, I agree, and I guess. I don't know. For me, I would prefer to just get rid of natural and supernatural. Don't even talk about categories, but that's a whole different discussion. So <laughs> maybe we'll do that another time. Um, but this is the end of the clip. So like Kyle, Tim, do you have any like last thoughts, things you want to say before we wrap things up here? Um, I guess, I mean, like I said in the beginning, simplicity is only one criteria, right? And it's definitely it's only relevant if the theories have equal explanatory power, right? Which I don't think they do. <laughs> I think theism has more explanatory power than nationalism. But if they did have, you know, equal explanatory power, if they both had unification, all that stuff, then yeah, we should take the criteria of simplicity into account. But again, even if theism is simpler, that does not mean that theism therefore is true. There's a, there's a lot of other criteria. There's a lot of other... Um, things we have to take to account, right? And for me, I, I, I think that um, probably one of the most important um, criteria when it comes to examining, examining the probability of theism is the unification, right? If you have a theory that has unification, that is always going to trump 
a theory which doesn't have unification in my mind at least so even so like so like even if the other theory is um more simple right it's it i think unification is overall gonna um be a more important factor to take into account than simplicity so but yeah that's all i have to say on that tim anything else last words for tonight yeah i mean i mean simplicity you know is the is what's going to determine in the end you know what um theory we opt in for but it has to be the determiner in the context of um of the rest of the criteria in our prior probability assessment and in our posterior probability assessment and so um that's why we say all things being equal the hypothesis that is more parsimonious or simpler is the one we go with and so we have to make sure that are these theories equi-explanatory is, is all of our if is, is all of our uh, prior probability assessments uh equal as well have we square those things away okay now we can look at simplicity right that's how we should do it i often see that that's a mistake that's made um is that uh we kind of go to simplicity very uh, much too quickly so um that's just what i want to keep in mind that's why i want viewers to know as we're looking at this um, it's much more nuanced than it is usually given credit for. Yeah, it's been a lot of fun, guys. I've enjoyed um, this conversation and stuff. Um, I'd encourage you, like, if you enjoyed, like, Emerson, because he's, he's really great. He has a really great podcast and all kinds of uh, valuable things to bring up. Um, it's linked down below. This is just one part of, like, five reasons why he's an atheist. So the first, like, one through three, I think are actually really good. And I, I basically agree, agree with him, except I'd say there's many things theism can explain and not many things that atheism can explain better. Um but, and then part five is like internal problems with theism. So it's a really great like like overview of like why like reasons potentially like you might be you should be an atheist even though like we obviously like disagree with them and I don't think you should be an atheist. But you know we'll see that for another day. But um, Tim Kyle, thank you so much, guys. It's been a lot of fun and big shout out to Emerson. Great content, lots of fun stuff to think about, and you're awesome. And I don't know, I'd be curious what you think. But yeah, uh, sorry, I wanted to pull you guys at the end. Um, Tim has a channel. He doesn't upload it on anything, I guess, anymore. So it's sad. But Invoking Theism, great content. And Kyle is in the middle of dropping these massive Swinburne videos. Um, so you can check out Christian Idealism if you want fresh content. Um, so, yeah, lots of great stuff there, guys. So appreciate that. All right. Sounds good. We'll wrap things up um, to Swiftsy, to Dr. Josh or Megan, to Kelvy, and everyone who tuned in, Warrior Woman. Um, have a good one, and God bless. We'll see you next time.